I sort of came on with Brendan Shanahan. He was really the first hockey player that I sort of could really grasp. And because I was small and he wasn't, I always sort of took his mental aspect. And that's sort of what blossomed me into the hockey player that I tried to become. Now I just like talking about it, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a great show for you today. We're going to start with something a little more local in East Lansing. Let's talk college football. Now, the college football award watch lists have been announced for at least the players on the defensive side of the ball. And while it might be a surprise to many people in the nation, I'm sure no one here in East Lansing has really any surprise that the Spartans are pretty well represented on these lists. You have from the Chuck Bednarik Award and the Bronco Nagurski Award, those are two of the Defensive Player of the Year awards, you have Max Bullo and Darquez Denard on both of them, and also in the Nagurski, Marcus Rush, the junior defensive end, he's also on that list. Then from Jim Thorpe, the Jim Thorpe Award going to the nation's best defensive back, you have a guy like Darquez Denard, the cornerback, and the safety Isaiah Lewis, who, in my opinion, those two are going to really solidify what Johnny Adams has isn't going to be able to bring back because, mm-hmm. obviously, he's on to the next level. So I guess my real question to you is, you have these players who have kind of you know gotten national recognition, but are there any Spartans that you feel were sort of overlooked for these preseason awards? Maybe someone who's a little un- more unheralded now, but will start to garner more national recognition as the season goes on? Yeah, I think there's actually a few Spartans in, uh, in mind right now. As, if you, as you know, uh, Michigan State returned seven starters along the defense that ranked number four in the nation last year. Mm-hmm. So just an already solid unit. But up front, I'm looking at two individuals. The first is Lawrence Thomas. Beast. Guy, guy who came in from high school. He weighed 245. He was a middle linebacker. And last year... I think he moved. I think uh, Coach Antonio moved him to fullback. So he's got very nimble feet. He's a fast guy. He's an athlete. He bulked up to 300 pounds this offseason. Six foot four, 300 pounds. That prototypical size that you want to see in a defensive tackle. And I really look for him to shake it up and get it done. Now, is that speed going to transition to power at the next level? Is he going to be productive against bigger offensive linemen? I, I don't know, but I'm really hoping that he can. He's an athlete, so I. I really think he can. Another guy that I really like is uh, Calhoun, the defensive end. Shalee Calhoun. Shalee right. Calhoun. I like him a lot. He's six foot four. Once again, I'm talking about size. Six four, about two fifty five. That prototypical size that you want. And he's speed, quick, nimble, get to the edge. And I think he's going to have an easy time against the quarterback. And once again, it comes down to if he can go against like uh, Lawan from Michigan and all those other like the Wisconsin uh, offensive tackles and guys right. who are very successful at the next level. I think he I think he can be a good asset to the Michigan State defense. I really do. Agreed. Definitely agreed. I mean, Lawrence Thomas is a guy who I know was, you know, very well heralded coming out of high school. He's a top 20 player in the country. And last year when, obviously, Will Golston and Marcus Rush were in the defensive end spots, D'Antonio would just, he would tell reporters, there's no reason to waste Lawrence, Talent's, Lawrence Thomas's talent on the on the on the sidelines pretty much get him on the field in any capacity you can because the man is just too talented not to be on the field mm-hmm. and Shalik Calhoun the, the dude is a beast the dude is an absolute beast I mean one of my good buddies was actually playing basketball against him and he and Shalik Calhoun stepped on his foot and it kind of cracks now every time he walks so sure <laughs> enough every time Shalik Calhoun makes a sack my buddy will crack his ankles so that, that's <laughs> sort of become our, our victory there you go but for me, a guy I'm really looking forward to is the cornerback Trey Waynes. This is a guy who I've actually, I had a group project with him, the, one of the most humble, nice guys you'll ever meet. And the dude, literally, he won't brag about himself. He'll brag about 
all the, his his defensive secondary partners. He'll brag about the 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 DNs who are making the plays, so to obviously take pressure off him. But one thing that I really liked about this guy was his first game ever that he started and actually got you know had had to line up against a prominent wide receiver was in the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl against TCU. Now, considering the fact that he was a redshirt freshman at the time, that's a pretty nerve-wracking experience to have your first grand stage be in a, in a bowl game like that. Mm. He came out with three tackles, half a sack, and by the end of the game, the TCU was afraid to throw to his side. They, you know, they were going to Darquez Denard, which we'll take that any day because Darquez Denard, I think, could be a first-round pick. Absolutely. And how the secondary plays is going to be, it's going to... Um... It's going to reflect how Calhoun and Thomas and the other front four, like Hoover as well, all those guys up front, if they can create pressure on the quarterback, it's going to be much easier for the secondary to do their job. So I'm excited. I'm very excited for football to start. Agreed, agreed. I I cannot wait for the season to begin. Now, another player who made it to one of the preseason award lists, his name is Travis Jackson. He's the starting center for Michigan State, and he's he's on the watch list for the Remington Trophy Award. Now, Jackson hurt himself last year. He broke his foot against Ohio State, which caused him to miss the remainder of the season. But, Derek, do you think that there are any Spartans that will have to step up due to the fact that Jackson and the offensive line are coming back to a team that lost their most potent weapon, Le'Veon Bell? There's sort of a shakiness at quarterback and at wide receiver in terms of consistency, not necessarily who's going to be on the field, but how they'll produce on the field. I, I, I guess... What is it going to take for Jackson and this offensive line to kind of keep Maxwell and company upright long enough to make plays? And the more important question is, who's going to make the plays? I mean, I think it's got to be Maxwell. Maxwell has to be the—I mean, he's the field general. He's the quarterback. He's the guy that needs to make the plays. For the for the Spartan offense to take that next big step and be more productive than they were last year, it really depends on Maxwell's productivity. Last year alone, and I know the offensive line was shaky, what you just said, but last year he had, uh, I think, a total of negative 106 yards rushing. Right. That's something that is just unacceptable in this offense. He needs, uh, like, the fact that the offense is giving way to defense linemen coming in and pressuring the quarterback, and he needs to create plays on his feet, and it's and it hasn't been really working out for him the way he wanted to last year. But I really think if he can settle down, have confidence in his offense, and, like, and he's had a, the whole offseason to... Um, I don't know, get comfortable with the guys he's with. And I really feel if they work on their game, I think it will be a good season for the Spartans this Agreed, year. agreed. I mean, they have Aaron Burbage coming back, and then they have uh, Monty Medeiros, who was redshirted last year. D'Antonio talks about how they sort of give them the two vertical threats that they need to kind of stretch the defenses out and give more space to more, you know, unexperienced running backs. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I also I don't think you can necessarily criticize only Maxwell. Yeah. I think there were a lot of consistency consistency issues from the receiver position, and now that Le'Veon Bell is gone, they're going to have to get a consistent force going forward, maybe in a committee. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not really fair to just just pick on Maxwell because it's not his team. I mean, it, it, the football is a a team sport, like one of one of the most team sports right. you have out there. I mean, you can't you can't get the ball to the receivers without your line blocking. I mean, it's. It, it all there's so many different aspects that go into the game of football, and with Maxwell, it's just it was just frustrating watching him last year. Like it didn't seem like they had any chemistry at all, and I think that's where it comes down to the quarterback. If you don't have team chemistry, you need a leader to step up, and you need someone to get everybody together. And last year there was too many drop passes, too many uh, blocking scheme errors, too many things that went wrong. And I wasn't trying to say that it was just all Maxwell's fault, but for them to take a step this year in the right direction. 
one of these quarterbacks has to come through and be the general that we need to get us back into uh, get us back into a respectable record mm-hmm. instead of what was it seven and seven last yeah, year? Yeah, exactly. Something oh, to get us seven and six. Something to get us back into contention. Yeah. I know what you mean, but I mean personally, it, it doesn't help that the fan base got a little taste of Connor Cook, so they mm-hmm. know that there's someone behind Maxwell waiting in the wings. I think all that does is puts more pressure on Maxwell. But at the same time, from what I've heard, at least from spring ball, he's really stepped his maturity up. He's got a much more, a much better rapport with his receivers. I'm, I'm expecting big things out of him, just yeah, like everyone is. It's hoping it's sick. And we were talking about the dual threat quarterback too, and I think Cook's more of that dual threat quarterback than Maxwell is. So if Maxwell gets in trouble at the beginning of the year and he starts to kind of falter, it wouldn't surprise me if they pull the trigger and go with Cook early on in the season. Agreed, agreed. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen just for Spartan Nation's sake. But I want to move over to the hardwood now as Tom Mizzo and company look to retool their team for another shot at a national title. Now, although the 2013 MSU team is loaded with talent, Izzo and his staff have recognized that after this year, several key components from the team are going to be leaving. Gary Harris is a very good chance he's gone after this year. Adrian Payne is gone. Keith Appling is gone. Brandon Dawson, if he, you know, if he can learn to kind of get the, his intangibles down a little better to go with his athleticism, there's a chance that he could be in a first-round pick. Now, with those four players returning question, it makes the, re- the recruiting season all that much more critical for Michigan State as, they ent- as they're going to enter the 2014 year. Now, just like last recruiting season, Michigan State is right in the thick of things with all of their prime targets. You have a guy like named Jaleel Okafer. He's the number one player in the country coming out of Whitney Young High School in Chicago. At the number three player in the country, a guy by the name of Tyus Jones, who's a point guard from Apple Valley High School in Minnesota. Now, both these guys played on a U16 championship together in Mexico. They won the gold medal, and afterwards, spirits were so high that they all kind of joking around, jokingly around said, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we all just decide to play for the same college team? Well, a year later, in Lithuania, when they won another national, or when they won another gold medal, they decided, you know what? We're going to make things a little more definitive. We are going to play together next year. Now, they both have a, 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 quite of a, la- a laundry list of offers, and they've sort of pared it down to their four or five best teams that they think they can go to, Michigan State being one of them. Of course, Duke's also in the running. You have a team like Kansas. You have all these other national powerhouses. So my real question to you is, do you think that given Izzo being nationally known and revered as a very salt-of-the-earth and blue-collar type of coach, and given Michigan State's track record of graduating seniors and emphasizing the student aspect part of the student-athlete, do you think that kind of gives Izzo and Michigan State a disadvantage in recruiting when they're trying to get these highly-touted prospects who a majority of the people in the country see as one-and-done guys? No, because it's Tom Izzo. I mean, he's going to get his guys no matter what. It's, it's just Tom Izzo. It's the name alone. It's uh, it's uh. It's a prestigious organ. It's a pre- it's a prestige of Michigan State in general. Tom Izzo coupled with that, and we we've proven that we can get our guys in the past. Like you said, Gary Harris and all the other guys that have come in and they've stayed for a longer duration than just their freshman year. And I think last year Kentucky proved that if if one guy in that piece goes down, like it could ruin their entire seasons. When Noel went down. And they they didn't even go to the uh, NCAA tournament, right? And they were talking about going to the national championship again. It's just Couldn't like even win the NIT, exactly. And it's just for me, I think that Tom Izzo has always been able to get the guy that he wants, and he's going to continue to do that. And that's what makes him a great coach. 
I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you have a guy like Tom Izzo who's pretty much turned those four letters, I-Z-Z-O, or I guess that'd be three letters, into a <laughs> brand. Into he's, Izzo is more than just a coach. I mean, we have the Izzo now. We, the student section at Michigan State is actually named after this guy. The one thing that I sort of struggle with is that Tom, I mean, Tom Izzo, when he, recruit, when he pitches to a recruit, he pitches the development of a prospect. Now, that's development as a player. Development as a student, development as a person and a human being, which I have no qualms with. If you're, if you want any guy to represent your university, that is the man you want to represent them. However, now that you have media and Twitter and all the and Facebook and all this stu- all this social media that's kind of blown up, I think it's almost made it so that maybe highly touted recruits they have more of an ego coming out of high school because they can Google their name and find a thousand articles on them. So due to that fact, I think you have a guy like Coach Cal Perry who will go to recruit, and I think his mentality is more of give me one year, two years tops, and I'll make you an NBA player. And if that hasn't happened, just hope my recruiting class next year doesn't kind of boot you out of the rotation. Where Tom Izzo, he'll take you, and he won't give up on you until the day you graduate. And even the day you graduate, he'll shake your hand and say, any single time you ever need to talk, you know my number, you know my office. Which... It's it's definitely it's it's two different sides of the argument. You have a player who wants to go to the NBA from the day he was born, and and a player who you know will follow the money. And Izzo, at the, on the other side of it, is going to recruit a player who, yeah, he knows that if he works hard, he will become a better person, a better student, a better ball player, which will get him to the NBA, which will get him that money. But he'll learn so many more invaluable traits on the way. Mm-hmm. It just depends on the type of player you are. Like, what do you value? Like, do you want that one and done thing, or do you want to learn from one of the best coach in NCAA history? I mean, Tom Izzo has has a proven track record, and he has had guys in the past who have stayed for one year and went pro. But that's and that's to each his own. Doesn't mean that just because you want to just play college basketball for one year and then go to the NBA right afterwards that you can't play for Tom Izzo because it's been proven in the past that you can do that. But I think, I'm going to get back to what I said earlier, that Tom Izzo is going to get the guys that he wants. And like as long as, he around, that, as, long as Tom Izzo is around, Michigan State's always going to put a good product on the court. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Definitely agreed. Well, there's been a lot of speculation that Okafer and Jones would follow in the footsteps of Jabari Parker a highly touted forward out of Simeon High School in Chicago who spurned the Spartans on national TV to go to Duke. But, of course, Jones and Okafer have kind of downplayed that notion, recognizing that Parker is most likely going to be in the NBA by the time they step on their campus, so that shouldn't really impact their decision. Let's hope they end up in the green and white, for everyone's sake. Indeed. All right, I want to move things a little out east towards Detroit, and then we're going to take things a little further east to City Field, New York, where the MLB All-Star Game will be played tomorrow night. Now, to the surprise of no one, the AL's lineup is littered with Tigers. And I mean littered. Six Tigers, that's right, six Tigers, the most in the MLB, were named to the All-Star game this season. That's Miguel Cabrera, Prince Fielder, Johnny Peralta, Torrey Hunter, Max Scherzer, and of course, Justin Verlander. Mm -hmm. Although Verlander had to get replaced in the lineup by the Orioles' Chris Tillman because he pitched last night. And there's an MLB rule, if you pitch the Sunday, if you pitch... The, the weekend before All-Star Weekend, you're not going to be in the rotation. Now, I want to start with the issue that's kind of been hot all over the nation. A guy by the name of Yasiel Puig, the rookie outfielder from the L.A. Dodgers, was left out of the All-Star game after having a historic beginning to his baseball career. Now, in 26 games, 
Puig hit 436 with a 467 base per, on base percentage and the 713 slugging percentage. He won both the National Rookie of the Year, I mean the National Rookie of the Month and the National League Player of the Month in his first month ever in baseball, which has never been done before. He's become the hottest player in baseball, but his sample size is too small. And so when it got down to the All-Star voting, there were a lot of players who said Puig hasn't necessarily paid his dues to earn the right to become an All-Star. On the flip side of that, you have to argue that the month that Puig had makes puts him in the top five players in baseball just in a production standpoint. So how can you possibly leave this guy off the ballot? So I guess the question I want to ask you is, what do you think should constitute an All-Star? Is it, some, is it a rookie who's played less than 50 games, but at the same time he's gone on an unprecedented streak? Or is it a player who's sort of played his dues and made his name in the MLB long enough where his, his peers and his, the fellow managers will respect him and even the fans enough to say, hey, we're going to give this guy a shot? It's a difficult question to answer because I think it can go either way. Uh, Puig is an amazing athlete. We were talking about this earlier. I, I think he... He has all the tools to be a five-tool uh, baseball player and be a great ball player for the Dodgers for a long time. It's just at this point, it's really too early to give him that all-star ballot. And plus, if he, if he really is as good as everybody thinks he is, he'll have plenty of chances to go to the all-star game in the future. But right now, it's there were other guys for that NL squad who were more deserving than he was like like based off statistics for the entire season. I think Puig is going to be a great player, but we talked about Chris Shelton for the Tigers a few years back who started off the year I think with 14 home runs. He was he was beating um I I don't know. He was just beating everybody in home runs that year to begin right. the year. I think it was the month of April he set a he almost mm-hmm. set a record. And then after that you never heard of him again. I think he was released by the Tigers later on that year. But at the same time, I, I don't think that's the case for Puig. I think Puig is going to be a great player. It's just at this point, I think it was the best decision to not include him in the game, and my personal opinion. Now, were you a little surprised, at least I know I was, that the players on the NL team, when they got the chance to you know, nominate a, a squad or at least a couple players to be on the team? I mean, this is a game, the only all-star game in professional sports that actually has repercussions on the outcome. Mm-hmm. The winner of the game, that league, gets home field advantage in the World Series. So do you think that the players in the national team should have said, listen, this guy has been killing it so far. Worst comes to worst, he goes out here, he hits a couple doubles, he doesn't hurt us for a chance to have, you know, if, if my team happens to make it to the World Series, he definitely won't hurt our chances to get home field advantage. Yeah, you think they would have that thought, like, you know, put the hottest guy in the field, you know, we'll have a better chance of winning, but maybe they have... Maybe they uh, have the same thought that I do about, you know, maybe he's just not deserving of it quite yet in this That's season. True. There's plenty of guys who have put up more more gaudy numbers than he has thus far. I mean, uh, he has been great. He has been fantastic, and I, I would not be upset if he would have made the All-Star game. I thought it would have been cool. I think it would have increased the ratings, as a matter of fact. But the fact of the matter is he wasn't voted in for a particular reason. I think that reason is because people want to see more. Um, sports is a, a show me now type of game. It's like, what have you done for me lately? And lately, he's been fantastic. But down the road, like, what if he, what if he, what if he goes in the month of August with like a batting average of like 150 or 200, and he's not hitting any home runs, and he's he's leaving men on base, and then everything's going to be a distant memory from then. People will be like, why did we even vote for him? This is ridiculous. He was hot. He got lucky, but 
I think he's going to I think he's going to continue this streak. I don't think he's going to be hot like this for the rest of his career obviously, but like I think he's a great ball player. Agreed. And he, he'll make all-star games in the future. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Magic Johnson would love if yeah. this guy extended his streak for the next 15 years, but no, I agree. There is definitely the fraternity of of MLB players is pretty tight-knit and you sort of have to gain respect amongst your peers. Puig obviously just haven't hasn't been there long enough. <laughs> um again, our sports question of the day whether you've been a sports fan in Michigan for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, there's always been a marquee athlete in your state that you've been able in the state that you've been able to rally around, call it Willie Horton, Steve Eiserman, Joe Lewis even, the boxer, anyone from the Cronk gym, call in and and give your answer 517-432-3893. Uh question of the day, I mean, again personally, Brendan Shanahan, the, the guy, I, I know he's taken a lot of flack recently, especially with the whole the hit that uh, Zetterberg took in the playoffs, and he was obviously the one who didn't end up suspending uh, Shea Weber for that. But the, the guy is just, he's too smart in my opinion. He's sort of what made me the sports fan I am today. But uh, next on the list, we have the Pistons. Now, it's been a week since the Josh Smith signing, and... At the time, when everyone was expressing their reactions, I saw a lot of people calling for Jody's termination. A couple extremists were calling for his head, but figured <laughs> there's, there's no need for any of that. Now, we've sort of had a week to let sort of reanalyze the signing, let, every, let the dust settle, let everything kick in. How do you feel about Josh Smith signing a four-year, $54 million contract with the Pistons? Was it the right move? Do you think we're going to be contender? Do you think this just locks us into mediocrity for the next four years? Uh, what's your take on it? The right move, I, I can't really answer that question until the season's over with, but at the point right now, I think it was the right move just based on the fact that we're talking about it right now. I mean, Pistons fans, we haven't had anything to celebrate in a long time since since Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton and Tayshawn Prince and the Wallace brothers were there. I mean, it's been absolutely terrible at the Palace. I mean, if you were even to step into Auburn Hills and go to the game, you would realize that how low this team has actually sunk. It, it, it's ridiculous, like, how, but the fact of the matter is they brought Chauncey Bills back, like we talked about earlier, Rasheed Wallace as an assistant. And Josh Smith, regardless if you agree with the signing or not, he's going to bring more people into Detroit. And it's a big sign, and it makes Detroit more relevant. Now, do you, I, I know that obviously jo, the name Josh Smith is going to bring fans in the seats, and you definitely, there, there's no denying that we've definitely bolstered the defense for the Pistons. But... Don't you think part of it was Joe D sort of forcing his hand, saying, look, here's a player who's played small small forward before. We need a small forward. It looks like a fit, but it's more of a this works right now type of fit. You know, I mean, you have a guy who his most effective seasons are when he's playing in the paint, mm-hmm. but he's not going to be able to play in the paint when he's on the court with Monroe and Drummond simply because that's just going to cause way too much congestion in the lane. And obviously Detroit is a team that sort of lacks shooters. So the last thing you want to do is condense the paint because that's where most of your offense is going to want to come from. Yeah. Now, at the same time, so you have a guy like Josh Smith who you have to bring back to the wing who's less effective. And at, and, and at the same time, you have a point guard, sort of a faux point guard in Brandon, in Brandon Knight, who's, who, in my opinion, is more of a combo guard. So while Knight can shoot, he can play defense, he hustles, and he's one of the hardest working players in the league you you don't really feel confident in his, in his ability to be able to get Josh Smith the ball where Smith needs it. Mm-hmm. And for a player who's kind of being forced out to the wing, 
it seems sort of almost irresponsible to make him have to create his own shots like that. I just, you know, there's 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 a certain aspect of it where if you have a player where you're going to have to be getting him his shots where he needs it to be, you'd, you'd, you'd like to have a point guard that can kind of get him the ball where, where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. And, and I don't think Joe Dumars actually forced that signing, though. Josh Smith and Joe Dumars and the uh, Pistons organization actually met up with Josh Smith the minute free agency started. They had in mind who they wanted. It wasn't like... You know, oh no, we can't find a small forward. We need to like we need to find one last minute before the season starts. They pursued him right away because they had that belief that he can be that small forward that they want. Now, I've heard from a lot of Pistons fans out there saying, you know, he doesn't spread the floor. He's he's not a spot up shooter. He takes he takes uh he takes poor shots. He has a poor shot selection. Excuse me, and it's it's just not going to bring balance to the offense. Now, he's an athlete. He's gonna he's gonna work on his game, and I think with Mo Cheeks, he will perfect that small forward position and if he and if he doesn't I I just I I really cannot see it not working out that way I think with Drummond and Monroe and and Smith on the floor together they're going to be one of the most dynamic front courts in the league and and not not maybe not like product productivity wise but like athletically they're going to be fantastic and and to answer your question about Knight I don't think Knights had a, a full season beside his rookie year to really develop into that point guard position like a lot of people wanted him to. The first year, his rookie year, he had lapses, but he was a rookie. I mean, what rookie doesn't have his struggles in the first year? I mean, the majority of them do. And in his right. second year, they traded for Jose Calderon, so we never really got to continue that developmental process. And as we were talking earlier, he's a hard worker. He's he's in and out of the gym. He's a gym rat. Like He's there every single day participating with the team, working on his game, trying to become more fundamentally sound. And I, I believe if if they give him a chance to start at point guard the full season, allow him to develop, I think he can get it done. Now, if he doesn't, I mean, then we're going to have to start thinking about going a different way. I know a lot of people want to trade for Rajon Rondo, but he's had his problems as well. And personally, I think right now they should allow the team to try to gel, try to find some chemistry, because right now they're still young. And if they give them a chance to get older together, gel together throughout the season, I really think the Pistons could grab a 7th or an 8th seed spot. I mean, the Bucks made it with a 38-44 and 44 record last year. If if they can't finish 500 again, it's going to be another disappointing season. I could see Joe Dumars losing his job. But right now, the, 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 the moves that they have been making shows that they are making the initiative to take that next step and become a better team. Right now, no, they're nowhere close to becoming uh, a title-contending team. But I think they're actually showing that initiative. So... I like this offseason thus far. I really do. I agree. I mean, I definitely let's for let's first of all, I like Joe D. So I'm yeah. I'm really hoping that, you know, the team can kind of figure it out and prove him right so we can keep him on cuz I think besides a couple moves that were I mean, every GM has made a bad move move once in his life. No one really talks about the good moves Joe D has made. Mm-hmm. Now, what you were saying about the Pistons being the 7-8 seed, I might be in the minority of this, but to me Having a team that this year will compete for a 7-8 seed in the East, knowing that chances are they they won't really ever be able to compete with a team like the Heat, a team like maybe even a team like New York. Now the Nick, I mean now the Nets are really good. Yeah. So you have all these teams that, you know, to to be able to get up to their level in contention, we're still a couple pieces away. And as you know, next year, the 2014 draft is one of the most loaded drafts that I think we've seen since the 03 draft that we saw 
LeBron come out of, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Next year, in, at least in my opinion, there are probably six or seven players that I can see who could even be all-stars in their first three, four years in this league. So now you have a team with Josh Smith where you're paying a guy $13.5 million to make them mediocre, to make them contenders for a playoff spot and not much more. Most likely, if they do make the eight seed, they're going to get swept by the Heat. Mm-hmm. If they make the seven seed, maybe we can stretch to five or six games. But, you know, you have, you have a draft next year where there are proven impact players who are going to be on rookie contracts for the next four years. I, I, I mean, I know I might be the minority in this, but part of me was just kind of hoping we tanked the season again, <laughs> you know, picked up a guy like Wiggins or Julius Randle and then just sort of <laughs> ran from it with theirs. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know, I know. I, that's no, good thing Dumars isn't in here. No, no, I just think that, I don't know. They're already struggling heavily financially. Like we were just, like I just said a second ago, like the attendance at the palace was just absolutely atrocious the last four years. And for them to do that again and to purposely do it, Joe, Joe D would be asking to lose his job. It's like, I don't think any fan would want to hear, hey, I'm going to tank the season this year just so we can get a good pick. Don't worry, though. We might be good next year. I mean, what if he pulls another Darko? Agreed. I mean, it's just like... I think a lot of people have have uh, are skeptical of Jody's ability to like like to have a, a championship contending team because he did it once, but like that was only that one time, and it was it was great what he did, but like he he's, he hasn't proven himself in the draft. Right. He he absolutely just swung and missed in free agency last time with Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva, and I think a lot of people that's why so many people are skeptical about this Josh trade signings because they, they're thinking, oh, he just went out there and just threw some money at the first free agent he could because he thought that would make the team better. The difference is Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon do not have the name that Josh Smith does. Like Josh Smith is a superstar in the league. Regardless if you think he is or not, he's he's athletic, he he has highlight reel dunks, he's someone that like people will come to a game to watch. I have never heard anybody once say it's like, oh man, we signed Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva. That's awesome. It, I mean it's it was a big signing for the Pistons, and I think it gives them more relevance in free agency in the future. I mean, if if people see that Josh Smith signed a deal, and then they also got a young up-and-comer like Andre Drummond, who's only 19 years old, there's two freaks of nature right there on the team. That's a it's a good building block for the Pistons, and I think it's only going to get better for them. So, All right, all right. We want to ask you, the viewer, how do you feel about the Josh Smith signing? Feel free to call in at 517 Three eight nine three. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, make sure you're here because we're gonna be talking lions and lots of it. See you in a sec. You're listening to Impact Exposure. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. 
and gentlemen want to hear our specials? Sure. First, we have the seafood special. It's been sitting around here for a week. We're known around these parts for our food poisoning. Wouldn't it be great if you could be warned of life's risks? If you have diabetes, you can. It's called A1C, a simple blood test that can help measure your risk of complications such as heart attack. To find out more, go to www.diabetesa1c.org. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International, and the Ad Council. Now back to Impact Exposure. everyone and welcome back to the impact on 89 fm i'm david zuckerman with me my co-host Derek grantham hello we've been having a great show thus far again if, if you're just joining us now there are question of the day now we know that sports fans in michigan have been around for a while 5 10 15 20 even 100 years and at any point there's always been a marquee athlete that the state or the city's been able to rally around you know that could be even pudge rodriguez Hank Greenberg, Alan Trammell, maybe even the bird, Mark Fidrich. You got guys like Megatron, Calvin Johnson now. Are you a fan of the, of the bad boys, Lambeer, Mahorn? We want to know which athlete that made your biggest mark on, on the chapter of Des- Detroit sports fandom that's kind of led your own journey into being a sports fan in Detroit. So once again, who's your, who's your athlete? Who's your Tiger? Who's your Red Wing? Who's your Piston? Who's your Detroiter? All right, Derek. We've talked about the Pistons. We've talked about the Tigers. Now, I'm sure what most of the viewers want to listen to, the Lions. <laughs> when, when Everybody wants to hear about the Lions. Oh, man. This is, you know, for, for a team that's been, for the last 50 years, kind of been down in their luck, they have quite a support, you know. You, you wish the Pistons could have something like this, or even the Shock. Maybe the Shock would have stayed in town if they could get half the support the Lions got, you know. The problem is the seasons are too long in basketball and baseball. It's just like with football, it's like, oh, it's 16 games or whatever. I can watch all of those. Exactly. It's no big deal. You can stomach the Lions doing terrible every single year. Right, and fantasy football definitely hasn't hurt that at all. Adds to it. Oh, yeah. Definitely hasn't hurt that. All right, I want to know your opinion starting off on the Matt Stafford contract. There's okay. been a lot of debate on either side of this. I've heard a lot of people say it's way too much money. I've heard a lot of people say... Too much money, you're paying for a quarterback. This yeah. is this is what you're supposed to pay for. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to get your take on it. Well, I mean, the driving price for a, your franchise quarterback is going up every single year. I mean, just recently with rookie contracts, they kind of eliminated that big money that they get initially. But Stafford getting his three year extension. I know I've talked to people about it recently, and they think that he doesn't deserve top five money. It's I I, I honestly don't understand it at all. I mean, if you look at his stats, his first two years starting, his first full 100, uh, sorry, his first 32 games starting, he's accumulated um, over 10,000 yards, 61 touchdowns, and 33 interceptions. I mean, 33 interceptions, that's kind of gaudy. But at the same time, we're talking about Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, um, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, all proven guys who have taken their teams to championships. None of them have produced like Matthew Stafford has in his first two years. So to me, I think right there, that is enough reason to give someone top 10 money. I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I at the when this news first broke, I wanted to hate it so badly. That was my, that was my gut reaction. I was trying to hate it. You know, I was it was literally this is a guy who in my opinion he forces passes into spaces that he shouldn't. Mechanical issues, yeah. Right. He's a guy who will sometimes run around with the ball a little too long and try to make plays with his feet and just, you know, not throw it away. You know, make sensible plays. Yeah. Sometimes he tries to, he tries to get a little too fancy. And he's also a guy who, who puts up gaudy numbers 
simply because he slings the ball more than any other quarterback in the league. But then it all kind of boiled, I sort of boiled it down, I kind of analyzed it in my head, and it dawned on me that what would be the alternative if we didn't give him this money? What If, if, if for some reason the Lions said, you know, we're going to hold out for another year or two, kind of, uh, kind of a Joe Flacco situation, we're going to see what you can do from us going forward, who would have said that Stafford in a year would have gotten fed up with the culture around the Lions and said, you know what? I'm going to make you bid for me, or I'm going to go test my market in the free agency because I know that I can get money from someone. There are enough teams who don't have quarterbacks who would give a left arm from every single receiver they have just to have me throw to one-arm receivers, you know? Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it, at the end of the day, Matt Stafford is the best quarterback the Lions have, it, have had since Bobby Lane, who was before either of our time, yep. you know? and 50s. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. And so if we if we withheld the money from him, who who would have said that you know a he he would have if he had become a top ten quarterback all of a sudden the price drives up even more and this way you have a guy like Calvin Johnson who you know will even though he's locked up for a while he's gonna be happy for the next five years he's gonna have a quarterback who he knows he's proven he has a proven rapport with he knows exactly you know he knows Calvin I mean he knows Matt as well as Matt knows Calvin yeah. In terms of giving Stafford a, a money for a top to be a top ten quarterback when he's not necessarily a top ten quarterback yet, I mean, if you look at you know how quarterbacks are are even paid in the NFL, you have a guy like Tony Romo who's being paid top ten money. In my opinion, Romo barely makes the top twenty. Barely. Barely. You have Joe Flacco who, granted, did just win a win a Super Bowl, but in my opinion. Anquan Bolden made Joe Flacco's contract. Yeah, Joe Flacco should be giving Anquan Bolden. He got Bolden. hot at the right moment. Joe yes. Flacco got hot at the right moment. Like he he was so up and down the majority of the season. It's a lot like Eli Manning too. Like Eli Manning, the things that he does during the regular season and the things he does during the playoffs, it's com- it's like night it's, and day. It's two different players. It, it, it's I don't know if Flacco is going to live up to the money that he got, and I don't even know if Stafford is. But I remember two years ago. When, no, I'm sorry, four years ago when Stafford was initially drafted and he spent his first two years being injured the majority of that time and people were talking about releasing him and if he can't stay healthy, this or that. And then he was finally healthy for the first time for 16 games in 2011 and everybody loved him. Everybody like, was high on the, the Lions, they jumped on the bandwagon and then they have a bad year and everybody's asking for his head and saying that he doesn't deserve the money. I don't know if it's because Lions fans are just like naturally like that with quarterbacks because we, like you said, we never have that good quarterback, that go-to guy, that general of our offense. And finally we have him and everybody's just too harsh on him and it's, I, I don't know. I think he's a great quarterback. The numbers that he has put up and I, he's 25 years old, 25 years old. You can't stress that enough. By the time he finishes out this contract, this the rest of his four years, five years, excuse me, he's going to be a year older than Brandon Whedon, who was a starting quarterback this year. <laughs> That's true. As Although... a rookie. And it's like, he's still young. He's still got over 10 years left in his career. He has plenty of time to develop. He has plenty of time to figure it out. The mechanics, which you were talking about, how he throws off his back foot when he's under pressure, how he throws it sidearm. Those are things that he's going to erase over time because Aaron Rodgers still, like, he still does that every now and then. He had those problems initially, but but then again, Aaron Rodgers spent like three, three, four years behind Brett Favre learning the trick of the trade, and so he stepped into a great situation. But like with Stafford, he was just thrown right into the fire, and he got injured the first two years, had a great breakout 2011. 2012 was off, but uh, I was actually reading an article 
uh, in the Detroit Free Press about how Stafford actually has officially moved to Detroit. He's made Detroit his home. He's been there every single day in the weight room, every day on the practice field. And I think right there, he, he's just taking that step to be the leader that Detroit needs. And obviously, Tom Lewand, Jim Schwartz, and the rest of the like Detroit executives have saw this, and they said, okay, give him the money that he deserves because he is our future. He is. He is. Yeah. And he's, he's definitely has a future throwing the football, although with a golf club in his hand, things are a little <laughs> dicey. I'm going to tell you a story. I was actually golfing about three weeks ago with my buddies at a, at a golf course near our house called Glen Oaks. Now, we're about to tee off. We're on the ninth tee box. We're, we're waiting for the people on the green, so we're just kind of, you know, messing around, you know, laughing, having a good time. And we look on the eighth green, and we see a big guy, a young guy, but a big guy in a very nice purple shirt <laughs> with a beautiful girlfriend who's, you know, struggling to, struggling to hit the golf club, but, hey, you know, at least she's out there. And my buddy looks, and he goes, Yo, yo, David, I think that's Matt Stafford. <laughs> and I, I kind of shove him off. Yeah, sure, Matt Stafford's playing Glen Oaks. Sure enough, I look at him, and that's Matt Stafford. So all of a sudden, we're, we're sitting there. I'm trying to, like, make sure I can hit the best shot I can because I don't want Stafford to think I'm a bad golfer, not mm -hmm. that he was even watching my shot. Sure enough, so we, we, we hit our tee shots. We go to the green, and it's a par three, this last hole. So while we're on the green, we finish up, and we see Stafford get on the tee box. So we go, you know, maybe we should just stay here. Maybe we can watch, you know, if Stafford knocks one in, we could say we watched Stafford hit his first hole-in-one. Who knows? So he hits his first straight shot. It. Yep. He, he hits his first <laughs> shot. And, and it, it's, it, it goes straight, but only if he was aimed about 200 yards to the right. I mm -hmm. mean, this was, this was, he hooked it. He could not have hooked it any worse. So, of course, he's Matt Stafford. He gets to put down another ball, you know, because obviously he, he's Matt. Yes, indeed. indeed. So, so he puts one down. And as he, as he swings, my buddy's driving the cart, and he's like, you know, it's starting to get late. Maybe we should just, you know, maybe we should move. Who knows if he's going to hit another bad shot. So my buddy, he hits the, the gas in the cart and goes about 15 feet. Sure enough, Stafford's ball hits exactly where our cart was just. <laughs> Literally. It was the most unbelievable thing. We wanted to take the ball. I was going to sign it and then, you that's know, what give you it. you should have done. You should just grab the ball and just peeled out in your cart. That's See what, you, thanks, Stafford. Right. That's, that's what I would have loved to do. But, you know, I was afraid <laughs> that maybe if I was at a game and I asked him for an autograph, he would look at me and say, I think I already have your autograph on a golf ball that I'm missing. So You could just grew out a beard. He wouldn't even recognize that's you. True. You that's true. That's true. But it, it was, I mean, it was nice to even see that Stafford is playing local golf courses. He's, I mean, this is, this is a public course. This is anyone with 15 bucks can pretty much play here. And the fact that Stafford has sort of embraced Detroiters as, as I mean, he's, he's embraced himself as a fellow Detroiter and kind of embraced the, the, the city and sort of the culture of the city as his own, which, you know, for, for the quarterback of the Lions, that's all you can really ask for. Indeed. I mean, you wanted to take that step and be the team leader, and he said it this offseason that he is, he is taking those steps to become the team leader. As a matter of fact, I think he calls the Lions his team. So anytime that a quarterback takes that, takes that initiative, like, you want to see that. And, and personally, I fell in love with Matthew Stafford the day – that they played the Cleveland Browns, and uh, he broke. I think he broke his collarbone. It was a separated shoulder. Yeah. I'm not really sure. It was a separated shoulder. Yeah. That's it. Uh, by C.J. Mosley, and he play. hit him and landed yeah. on him. Who's actually a lion, was a lion now, now. Yeah. right? Who would have thought? It all comes full circle. It does. It does. So I fell in love with him from that very moment. The grit that he showed, and just like I, I think he's the guy that we need, and I think he's just going to be. He's going to continue to get better and. I'm excited for what the Lions are going to do in the future. I don't know why I say that because I remember last year I was like, oh, yeah, they're going to be awesome. They finished 
10 and 6 last year. I'm guaranteeing 12 and 4, 11 and 5. Ooh, that's rough. 4 and 12. It was absolutely terrible. That's tough. Although, terrible. although there's always next year. The, the mantra in sports, there's God, always next year. I just hate that thought. It's just like, oh, there's always next year. As a Lions fan, you always have that thought. And it's sad that as a Lions fan, the best part to look forward to is the offseason. It's like, man, I can't wait for the draft. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. I've been invested in the draft for way too long. Every year, that's become my favorite day of the year. I'm just waiting until the Lions of the third. I'm just waiting until the Lions have the 32nd pick, and so I can no longer care about it because it means we're finally Super Bowl champions. Sad thing is, I'm a complete nerd. I'd still probably care about it very much. Like Deal. The 32nd pick. <laughs> yes. Let's let's go. Let's try yeah. to get let's try to get one of those falling guys. You know. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to know you, the li- the listener, the viewer. What's your take on Stafford's contract? Do you agree with it? Do you think it's too much money? Do you think we're overpaying a guy with potential? Do you think we're, we're, we're paying a guy the right amount of money who we think will become the quarterback that we need to win a championship? So give us your answer, 517-432-3893 on the impact. And along with that, we want to know who's your marquee athlete that sort of changed your perception on Detroit sports and pretty much made his mark on your own chapter of Detroit sports fandom. It could be Matthew Stafford. It could be his buddy Calvin Johnson. It could be Ben Wallace. It could be the new and old Piston Chauncey Billups. It could be the Pistons assistant coach Rashid Wallace. I mean, who's who's your Piston? <laughs> who's your Tiger? Who's your Red Wing? Who's your athlete that gave you the sense of pride that you are a Detroit sports fan? Derek, another question on the Lions. Give it to me. We're coming into minicamp. Yes. We're, we're, we're coming into a time where... You know, position battles, this is really where they boil down. This is where all year you get, you know, on MLive and Free Press, you're writing about who could start where. This is the time where players really separate themselves from the pack. What position battle do you find most intriguing going into camp? Ooh, that is a good question. Now, see, there's there's several positions that are actually just locked down. Like, obviously, quarterback, mm-hmm. Andrew Stafford. I love of you. Of course. <laughs> um... But I'm honestly looking forward to the right tackle position, that battle with Corey Hilliard and Jason Fox. It's going to come down to the very last preseason game to decide. I mean, as I read, I'm talking like I know personally, like I've been to practices and I saw it. But from what I've read, that's an intense battle going on right there. I'm also intrigued to see what's going on with the left end because Ezekiel Anza was pegged in to be the starter. And then we got... um, Jason uh, Jones? No, not Jason Jones. He's the right end, the... um, the Chicago Bears defense. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have trouble. Yeah, I have trouble with the pronunciation. You, but. Hey, you got it for me. Thank <laughs> you so much. But they signed him, and he's 32 years old, but he's one of those guys who could come in the same way that Kyle Vandenbosch did a few, a few years back. Be that emotional leader, that guy who like charges up the uh, the locker room before right. games. Like, And he's he's a beast, too. He's a big, big defensive end. Six foot five. I think he's 275 pounds. Just a massive man just huge and I, I'm intrigued to see what happens with that and and the corners too what's going to happen besides Chris Houston like because Chris Houston has a right cornerback spot locked down now it's going to be I think I think like a four person finish to see who gets that second spot there's obviously Slay. Darius Slay yep the guy we took in the second round there's um the guy out of Albion who, oh, Chris, Chris Greenwood. Greenwood. Yep. You got Bill also, Bentley. Bill Bentley. And then Jonte Green. Jonte Green. Thank Finish you. All those off. guys are going to be competing for that left cornerback spot. And I'm really intrigued to see how that breaks down. Overall, the Lions did a great job with increasing their, their athleticism. The same way the Pistons did. But it's 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 going to be their ability to transition 
that athleticism into productivity on the field and the court. So it's going to be, it's, I love the off season, but I hate it at the same time because you get so amped for the season and you get all these lofty expectations, expectations. and then they just slap you across the face. <laughs> it sucks. But agreed. It's agreed. Although I can say that for the first time in my entire Lions fandom, we've for the first time had a secondary where you're not looking at them and saying, all right, we have three pieces of our secondary lockdown. <laughs> Who do we have to? What what waiver wire player do we have to go get on? Uh, you know to kind of lock down the other secondary spot or lock down the other safety spot. Yeah. This to me, I mean, between Quinn, we got Delmas, and then obviously with the cornerback battles, this is the first time as a Lions fan that you've seen six guys who are can compete for a starting job where they're going to push each other to who to see who's better, and it, it you get a you get a starter who won the job as opposed to well he was the least worst starter yeah. on the field you know yeah i mean i hate to be a negative nancy but it all comes down to like being able to stay healthy and i've said this so many times like oh we got this we got that you know we we could be good here and then the season starts and a guy blows his knee out or uh, it's or, the curse of the honolulu blue exactly every single year there's another key injury and like I, I I don't hate to go back to Stafford. I was going to say I hate back, go back to Stafford, but I'd be lying through my teeth. Anyways, going back to Stafford and like the, his regression from 2011, like we we talk about injuries, we talk about Burleson getting hurt, we talk about Broyles getting hurt, Titus Young just absolutely imploding and becoming he's more of a head case than a wide receiver. Exactly. I mean, and then Pettigrew, we were talking earlier about his lack of productivity, how he was dropping so many balls and I think he led all tight ends in the NFL in turnovers and Scheffler just completely disappeared. Yeah. Joyke Bell, uh, while he was a surprise, he he he's still a guy who was signed off the practice practice he's squad. Not the shore Javid Best got hurt. So it's like if those pieces can stay healthy, the Lions are going to have a good year. I I I just I've never been so positive about the Lions having success ever, but that's, but it comes down to if they can stay healthy. If if Broyles and Burleson and Kelvin can all stay on the field, and if Reggie Bush can spread the field out and give those wide receivers a greater chance to have, well, have Kelvin Johnson see less double teams, it's never going to happen. But it's just... I'm excited for the season. Now, very excited. Now, are you are you high on the Reggie Bush signing? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Really? Be, I be, am guilty. Guilt. Well, I, are I, you? I to no. be honest, I I've never seen him play 16 oh. games before. I think I think we're giving money to a guy where he looks great in fantasy. Madden, the Lions are going to be the greatest team to ever play in Madden. But that doesn't. <laughs> I don't think that translates. You know, it. I don't think that translates to 16 games on the field. I think. He is he is the definition of injury prone, yeah. and and to give a, a number one back that kind of money where he's only been a number one back for about when he was in Miami when he was two when years, he, yeah, yeah when when he was on the Saints it was he was more of a third down kind of scat back all of a sudden we're telling him run between the tackles but don't get hurt because if you get hurt who who's 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 behind we're back to Lashore that's back. the thing I don't think they're going to be asking him to like take the whole load by himself and I think it's going to be a running back by committee I think Joyke Bell is still going to get his carries I mean his carries are going to drop substantially he's admitted this he knows it I mean with Reggie Bush obviously your carries your catches your everything you did on the field last year is going to be downsized because he's that much of a playmaker and you're right he has had injury his uh injury problems in the past but when he was with New Orleans and like the 
the effect that he had on the field, like being able to stretch the field, the screens, the um, the play actions, and it'll keep people on their toes. And he's going to add a whole new dimension to the Lions' offense. And I, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of skeptical, like you are. Like, it, can he stay healthy? But I'm like that with every single person on Lions' field. It's like, okay, we could be great if this happens or if that. And it's like. But overall, I'm excited for the season. Reggie Bush, I really honestly feel, is going to spread the field out. Calvin Johnson is going to do his thing. Matthew Stafford is going to prove everybody wrong. Everybody you wrong. You heard it here first from Derek? Yep. Mm-hmm. He's, he's making the Pro Bowl next year, and he's going to take us back to the playoffs. Wow. Lo- prediction. Lofty predictions. Here Let's... it is, 11-5. and five. I'm calling it right now. You heard it today. Not July 15th, everyone. July 15th. Yes. All right. Well, I'm, I'm really hoping that the Lions can kind of get back to relevancy. I know that... It sort of left a bad taste in my mouth watching them, you know, watching Cliff Averill intercept that ball on against Philip Rivers in San Diego, return it. Lions going to the playoffs. Everyone's happy just to get blown out by the Saints. That sort of left a bad. I, it, I had a sour taste in my mouth, especially I was watching with all my family who were from New Orleans. So it all just kind of got rubbed in my face a little more. And that <laughs> never helps. But I, I, I know what you mean. I'm definitely hoping that the Lions can kind of right the ship this year. Because in the division, they're gonna need it. You definitely. It's a hard division. It's, I don't. I don't. My my biggest concern is that even if we take a step forward, it's also contingent on the other teams in our division taking a step back. Yep. Which you know, relying on how other teams play, while Jay Cutler, you can also make a. You can always make the case that he's gonna be great. For, he's gonna be the best player in the league for eight games, the worst player in the league for eight games. You know, all all he needs to do is have a nice little stretch, and all of a sudden. We're competing with ten and six teams, eleven and five teams. You know, something that the Lions really haven't—they haven't had that kind of production. No, at least as long as I've been alive, or yeah. at least since the, Res- the the Barry Sanders era. And like you said, it's gonna—it's gonna depend on if those teams actually take a step back. And in my opinion, I really think it's going to happen. I don't think Christian Ponder is the answer at all in Minnesota, and Adrian Peterson can only be a freak for. I mean. I was going to say he can only be a freak for so long, but that's a load of crap. Yeah. He's gonna—he's he's gonna be a freak since he's, he's, until he's fifty-five. He's incredible. It's just—it's just I don't see them being productive as they were last year. I don't see the the Vikings going ten and six again. I think they're lucky if they go five hundred on the year. And also the Bears, like you said, Cutler's iffy, and they also have injury problems all the time. Their offensive line is in shambles. It's true. Like and with the Lions in town twice a twice a week twice a season and then the Packers with Clay Matthews and their their defense is getting better and the Vikings defense is solid up front as well. I just don't see the Bears contending. I think the Bears actually slip into the the cellar of the basement cellar really? whatever that yeah, term is. The, I don't care. The, they're, Anyways, they're slipping to the bottom this season. Wow. It's my personal opinion. I just You think the Vikings are gonna overtake them? I think the Vi- I think it's going to go the Packers who win the division, the Lions Vikings and the Bears finish at the bottom, but I don't think the Bears are going to have a terrible season. I think they're going to be six and ten or seven and nine. Right. I mean, in this division, you don't have to have a bad season to be the worst team, which is unfortunate. Exactly. The Lions could go nine and six and find themselves back with another top ten pick. We're hoping that doesn't happen. All right, everyone. We want to ask one more time: Who is your marquee Michigan athlete? Who is who is the athlete that really turned you on to sports in Detroit? Is it Dave Bing? Is it Joe Dumars before uh, before he became a GM and sort of kind of dampered his reputation there? I mean, <laughs> is it anyone from the 04 team, the 89 team? Is it Willie Horton? Is it Henrik Zetterberg? Is it Pavel Datsuk? I mean, who is it? 517-432-3893. Let us know. We're, we're running out of time soon. Derek, 
My last question for you, yeah. MLB All-Star Game. I mean, MLB Home Run Derby tonight, who you got? Gotta go with Prince Fielder. I'm a Tigers fan. Be ter- it'd be terrible with me if I didn't. It's true. All right, well, just, just to break the mold, well, I, was, I was looking at things a little earlier, and the last time that a Home Run Derby winner has run, won it back-to-back years... 1998, 1999, Ken Griffey Jr. I'm taking my chances still. I'm going Prince. Deal. All right. Well, who do you got? I'm I'm actually gonna go with the man they call Crush Davis. Oh, my, my jumping old, on the bandwagon. My old you? boss. My old boss at uh, at Fox Two was just a huge Orioles fan, and literally every single day we had seven TVs in the office. One of them was playing the Orioles games without fail. So I sort of became a pretty big Orioles fan just through having to work, have, simply having to go to work. He sort of kind of molded me into an Orioles fan. I really like what, what what Chris Davis is doing. Although I do want to piggyback one more question on top of it while we have 30 okay. seconds yes. left. Right now, Miguel Cabrera is leading the league in average, leading the league in RBIs, and second in the league in home runs. Chris Davis, on the other hand, second in the league in RBIs, second in the league in average, first in home runs. He's second in average now? Both, both of them, are, both of them really? right now are competing, are competing for the Triple Crown. Now, obviously, it's going to be very hard for Chris Davis to overtake Miguel Cabrera because of the average. His average numbers are about 40, 40. He's about 40 back in terms of average. But do you see Cabrera being able to make up the seven home run difference they have to kind of win the Triple Crown? I honestly thought Chris Davis was going to slow down a long time ago, but he keeps continuing to hit home runs, so I... I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if Cabrera is going to be able to catch him this year in home runs. Unfortunately, he could. Obviously, Cabrera is a freak, but I don't know. Deal. All right. Well, we're hoping it happens. Thank you for listening with us. I'm David Zuckerman. That's Derek Grantham. Thank you for being here at the Sportin' Spartan Network. Sportin's Spartans Sports Work Sports Rap on 89 Sorry, FM. The Impact. Yes. <laughs> Third time's a charm, everyone. Thank you for having me. I'm David Zuckerman. I'll talk to you later. Take care, guys. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.